Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. Pastor Ross in Thailand probably preaching right now, but we've got Pastor Doug right here ready to bring the word. So let's welcome him as he comes this morning. Thank you, Pastor Pete. It's great to be here this morning. It's a bit dark outside, isn't it? A bit dark in here as well. Um, you can sit down. Are you ready for the word of God this morning? Yes. I'm ready. Are you ready? Yes. Excellent. Because uh, I know that I'm ready because I'm wearing my pointy shoes. I've got my skinny chinos on and I've got my preacher's shirt on. And all the best preachers in the world wear a shirt like this. So I know that I'm ready. And you're hoping there's a lot of substance inside of what I'm wearing, aren't you? You know, that's actually, to copy is actually a principle that we find in the Word of God, that we are told to imitate Christ. And Paul says, if you can't imitate Christ, imitate me because I'm following Christ. So to imitate is actually a biblical principle. It's something that we're going to be having a look at this morning in part. But you also do want to make sure that there is substance in what you're doing and that it's not just a hollow shell and it's not just an image or a facade that we put up, that we're not just playing at Christianity, that we're not just living an external life that looks good but there's nothing on the inside. How many people have ever had an email where from a company or, or a shop or something like that and they email and you say, uh, can you just take five minutes of your time and fill out this short questionnaire yeah, lots of people have had those. What are they doing? They're asking you to appraise them on their performance. In other words, they're asking you to see whether or not there is substance in what they've delivered and whether it matches up with what they promised. And, uh, you know, we've all done those and we've all filled them out. How many people have been to the doctors for a checkup? No, three people have. <laughs> Come on, we've got doctors here that rely on you going and seeing them. Yeah, you know, we have doctors and we go and see a doctor and we get a checkup. Why do we go and get a checkup? Because we need an appraisal from a professional. We need an appraisal from an expert as to what's actually happening on the inside of us. Because the outside might look okay, but the inside might not be quite so okay. And so we go to a doc and we get a checkup. And there are several places that we find in the scripture where we're invited to examine our faith. In fact, invited to examine whether we're actually even in the faith. In Psalm 26 and verse 2, this is what the psalmist says. He says, examine me, O Lord, and test me. Test me. Evaluate my inner thoughts and motives. That's from the NET. You'll see it slightly differently. On the screen there at the NIV. But examine me. Test me. Try me in all of my ways, in my mind, in my heart, in my motives. Every part of me, God, test me. This is more than just a 15-minute checkup with the doctor. What the psalmist is doing is inviting God to give a thorough, internal, invasive examination of where the psalmist is at. And the psalmist is confident that when God tests him and when God tries him, he'll actually find that he is okay. And that's why he has the confidence to ask God to test him like this. You know, if we're not confident that we're going to pass a test, then we usually try to avoid it, don't we? 
You know, if you've crammed up for a test, all right, and you know that you know your subject, you're going, come on, bring it on. Bring it on. I know I can do this. I know I can do this. But if you haven't, if you've just been lax about study and you've been lax about, you know, uh, reading and, and, and just getting all the information that you were, and it comes time for the test, how many people here have either had a sick day that day <laughs> or you avoid the test or you just sit down and you just begin to stress out because you know that you haven't done the work. You know you're not going to pass. And I'm sure that we've all, at some point in time, can relate to that kind of idea. So the psalmist is confident that he's going to pass the test. You know, there are other people in the New Testament who talk about testing and testing of our faith. And Paul goes one step further than the psalmist does in the Old Testament. And uh, He's talking to his readers in Corinthians. And this is a community of Christians. These are believers. Okay? This isn't, these aren't people out in the world. This isn't people out in the community. This isn't the general population. He's, he's writing to the church, Christians, those who sit in the pews. And he says in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, Examine yourselves to see whether you are living in the faith. He asks that of Christians. Examine yourself to see whether you are living in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? They obviously weren't living the kind of lifestyle which represented that. Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. So the Corinthian church by and large, Paul is saying this to spur them, wake them up, shake them up. Because there were aspects of their life where they just were not living the kind of life that they were supposed to be living. They weren't living a life which was imitating Christ. They weren't living a life that had substance on the inside. They were speaking the right words and doing the right things, but some things just weren't quite right. And so Paul says, do you fail the test? Are you actually even in the faith? See, the Corinthians were drifting from the faith. They were drifting into compromise with worldly lifestyles, drifting away from the gospel message which they'd first heard and from what they first professed to believe in and started to mix with the world. Spiritual drift is what I want to focus on. Spiritual drift doesn't happen overnight. It happens gradually. It happens imperceptibly. You know, when I go down to the beach and I take my family, my kids, they want to play in the water. I don't because <laughs> it's too cold. All right? I've got Italian blood in me. It's too cold, that 30-degree that, uh, water. It needs to be hotter than that. So, uh, you know, I take my kids down. They want to play in the water. And so I let them. Now, as a good parent, I'll sit and I'll stand or I'll wade in the water and I'll watch them and make sure that they're safe. And then I'll go back up to the beach and I'll sit down on my towel or on my chair, whatever I've got, and I might start reading a book or talking to Becky or checking my Facebook or something like that anyway, you know. But anyway, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just occupied with other things. And as time goes by, I suddenly look up to see where my kids are and they're not there anymore. They've drifted. 
They've drifted down the beach somewhere. Now, they're not aware they've drifted down the beach. And I certainly haven't been aware that they've drifted down the beach because I've not been focusing my attention on them and paying attention to what they're doing. And neither have they. Of course, they're kids. They're oblivious to that sort of thing. And so they find that they've drifted down the beach. And spiritual drift happens in exactly the same way. We become preoccupied with things around us. We no longer focus our attention on Christ, no longer focus attention on living a life in the Spirit, that we begin to get distracted with the things of this world, with the issues of life, and we find that imperceptibly, without us even noticing, we begin to drift down the beach of compromise until suddenly we find ourselves looking up and we find ourselves in unfamiliar surroundings. We think, wow, what happened to the passion that I once had? What happened to the love that I once had for Jesus? What happened to, to you know, I used to, I used to read the word. I used to devour it. I used to eat it. Now I hardly even open it up. Whatever happened? I find myself in unfamiliar spiritual surroundings because I've just allowed myself to drift. You know, the older we get, the more often we need to go for a doctor's checkup. And the older we get as Christians, the more likely we are to experience spiritual drift because we get used to our Christian routine. And we get used to our Christian friends. And we think that everything's okay. And we just drift. You know, we lie back in these warm waters in Harvey Bay. These warm waters in Harvey Bay. And we just kick back and look at the sun. And, and you know, it's just wonderful here, isn't it? It's wonderful. I've got all my Christian friends around me. Isn't life great? I come to church every week. It's really fantastic. It's wonderful. But what's happening is there's an undercurrent which is pulling you along. It's an undercurrent that the world is just very gradually, very gently, very imperceptibly, without you knowing, just drifting you down that beach of compromise and to the point where you find that your faith has actually become totally ineffective. In fact, to the point where you might even find that you've backslidden. But now it actually doesn't matter if you come to church on Sunday. Maybe we'll go every other week. Maybe we'll go once a month. In fact, I can't remember the last time that I went to church. can't remember the last time that I actually gave to somebody in need. can't remember the last time I actually spent time in devotions to my Lord. Spiritual drift. What happens down at the bottom end of that beach is we actually lose our faith altogether. And this is what Paul was saying. Paul was saying, examine yourselves. Are you in the faith? Or have you drifted into backsliding to the point where you, your faith is just no longer working anymore? It's a good message, this. The Word of God in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1 says, Therefore, we must pay greater attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. This is the message of the gospel. Pay close attention to what we have heard, that we don't drift away from it. Nobody decides they're going to drift. 
It just happens because we're not paying attention. It's the gospel message that we need to be focusing on and that we need to be paying our attention to. And it is a life that produces an internal substance and an evidence that that salvation has truly taken place and that we live out our lives in the power of the Spirit. That is what we need to pay attention to so that we don't drift. There's uh, one of the Bible writers, John, who wrote the Gospel of John, wrote a letter It's his first letter, and he wrote it from Ephesus, which is where he lived at the time, and it was to be circulated to all the churches in the area. And uh, some of the churches were uh, believing all sorts of different things. Uh, Now, you know in Revelation, he writes to the seven churches, right? Those are probably the same churches that he writes his epistle to, his first letter. It's those cities that were in and around Ephesus in western Turkey today. At the time that he was writing, John was an old man. He was probably the last surviving apostle, the last surviving one of those who actually saw Jesus with his own eyes, who actually sat down with him and listened to his teaching. John, as we know, was the one who leaned back on Jesus' breast at the Last Supper and leant on him. So this is the John that we're talking about. All the others had been martyred, including Paul. So this is quite a late letter that he writes. And most of the believers by this time would have been grown up and been sort of educated in Greek philosophy. Some were believing that Christianity was just another philosophy. It was just another philosophical religion. And they were taking the teachings of Jesus and mixing those teachings with their Greek philosophical teaching and they were moving away from the centrality of the gospel. Shocking, I know. And none of us would do that, would we? None of us would start to mix our worldly ideas with our Christian ideas and compromise the gospel at all, would we? Of course not. So there were some people in the congregation who thought that they were Christians But actually, they weren't at all. But there were others who had drifted so far away from the gospel, they'd actually fallen into backsliding, and yet they didn't even know that that's what had happened. They weren't aware that this had happened to them at all. They had drifted away and were no longer walking in the light of the gospel. And one of John's major concerns in this letter is that his readers examine themselves examine themselves to see if they really were saved and to focus on the basics of the evidences of salvation, that substance that I was talking about, that if this is real, then there must be some kind of corresponding evidence inside of you to show that this has something real has actually taken place. And this is what John is talking about in his letter and asking them to examine themselves. And so what we're going to do is we're going to do a test this morning. We're going to test this morning to examine ourselves to see whether or not we really are in the faith. Examine ourselves to see, am I really truly saved? Examine myself to see whether there is substance inside that works its way to the outside that follows my profession of faith with real substance. Or have I drifted? have a drifted. So we're going to do that. And uh, 
all the New Testament writers, all of them, Peter, Paul, John, James, they all talk about some aspect of examining ourselves because all of them were absolutely convinced that when a person gives their life to Jesus Christ, there is a change that takes place on the inside of them, something real. This isn't just a philosophy. This isn't just a religion. This isn't just a good idea. But when somebody gives their life to Jesus Christ, something very real happens on the inside of them. And that's something that very real is that you become born again of the Spirit of God. In fact, Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this, So then if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That sounds like something real has happened. A new creation. What has old is passed away. Look, what is new has come. So Paul talks about this and he says, look, salvation is real. Something real, concrete, substantive takes place when we give our life to Jesus Christ. So what I want us to do is I want us to examine ourselves in the light of God's word. And we're going to have a look primarily at John because it's one of the major themes of John's first epistle. We're also going to back it up with some other scriptures as well. And to make it simple for us, I just want us to ask three questions. Just three. That's all we want to do. And we'll have a look and see. And I want you to do this honestly. I want you just to drop your, drop your guard because I'm not here to condemn anybody. But I am here to do what the Bible asks us to do which is to examine ourselves and see whether we pass the test. Because I know that Jesus wants us to pass the test. We don't do a test to fail. We do a test so that we can pass. Or at least we do a test to know, hey, you know, this is a particular area that I just need to pay closer attention to so that I don't suffer from drift. So this isn't to condemn, but I just want you to be honest with yourself. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Yeah, maybe. No, I won't. Okay, this is between you and God, okay? But this is the word of God I want you to, to be connecting with here. The first question that I want you to consider is do I have a present trust in Jesus as my Lord and Saviour? Do I have a present trust? Now, this is a two-part question. The first part of the question is, is Jesus Lord? The second part of the question is, is he my saviour? The active part of the question is present. Is Jesus presently my Lord? Is Jesus presently my saviour? In other words, is this a now Jesus is my Lord and now Jesus is my saviour? See, if... Jesus is our Lord, then we will have a desire to obey his commandments. That's because we love him and because we belong to him. So we will want to, we will have a desire to, there'll be something on the inside of us that wants to obey his commands. In 1 John 2 and verse 3, it says, Now by this we may be sure that we know him. If you can say yes to this, then you'll know that you belong to him. You pass the test. By this, we may be sure that we may know him if we obey his commands. 
Later on in chapter 5 and verse 3, John says, For the love of God is this, that we obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. So there will be a desire inside of our heart, first of all, if Jesus is my Lord, if I've made him king of my life, if he is Lord of my life, then I am his to command. And there will be something inside of me which delights in being commanded by the Lord and being obedient to what he says. So that's one of the first tests, is do I have a desire to be obedient to Jesus' commands? So right now, now is Jesus your Lord. Who is it that you give yourself to obey? Is it somebody else? Do you give yourself to sin to obey? Do you give yourself to money to obey? What is sitting on the throne of your life right now? Perhaps it's you that's sitting on the throne of your life right now. Perhaps the only person that you actually truly obey is yourself and everybody else comes secondary. But if Jesus is Lord of our life, then Jesus sits on the throne of our life and we obey his commands and we do his will. And that is an evidence that we are truly born again because Jesus is Lord of our life. The second part is, do, is Jesus presently or do I now have a now trust in Jesus as my saviour? Do I stand right now on the finished work of Jesus to save me? Not in the past, not sometime long, long ago, but right here, right now. If I were to go to heaven right now and I were to meet my Lord and Saviour, would I absolutely have confidence that my trust is in him to save me or would I not be quite so sure? In John 3.16, of course, everybody knows this one. This is the famous one that we always talk about. For if God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whomsoever might believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. If we were to literally translate that passage of scripture, it would say, whoever continues believing in him. It is a present now faith Whoever continually now believes in Jesus is saved. Not something I did 20 years ago. Not something I did last year. But am I currently, right now, believing in Jesus as my Lord and my Saviour? That's why spiritual drift is so dangerous. Because spiritual drift lulls us into a false sense of security that a long time ago I used to. And I've been going through my Christian motions and I've been coming to church and I've, been, I've got all churchy friends now and I have a churchy routine. But you know, I'm just not quite sure anymore. Once upon a time, I gave my life to Jesus. But now I'm not quite sure. That's evidence of drift. Once I did, 
And I fell back into my worldly lifestyle and I fell back into sin and I stayed away from the Lord for some time. And now I'm trying to come back, but I'm still not quite sure whether Jesus will accept me because of the stuff that I've done. That's spiritual drift. I'm not sure that Jesus is going to accept me because the stuff that I've done in my life as a Christian, inverted commas, was so bad, I'm just getting my just desserts right now. I'm suffering now and I deserve to suffer from my sin because of the stuff that I've done. Or I'm not sure that I'm saved yet because I keep on sinning. See, all these things are lies. All these things are drift. Because that is not the reality of who Jesus is nor the reality of what he's done. If you relate to any of those statements at all. You need a present, now, belief in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. And I'm going to ask everybody to stand up right now. Because we're going to have a short ministry time. Now if you related to any of those statements, I want you to pray this prayer for yourself. We're going to make a declaration and a confession of our faith. If you don't relate to that, that's great. Then I want you to make this declaration in support of those for whom it's not true. I want you to close your eyes right now. If I was to heap up all of your past and present sins, you don't have to come up banned. We haven't finished quite yet. But anyway, um, if I were to heap up all of your sins in front of you, if you can just see them in your mind's eye, and I was to put the cross of Jesus next to it, which one's bigger? Is the heap of sins bigger or is the cross of Jesus bigger? Because if the sins are bigger than the cross of Jesus, then you need to repent of seeing sin as being bigger than the work of Jesus. So what I want you to do now is I want you to imagine the mountain of your sin in the palm of Jesus' hand. And I want you to see the nails of the cross hammered through that mountain, through the palm of his hand and pinned to the cross. And I want you to keep that image in your head as we make this confession out loud together. The mountain of my sin is nailed to the cross. I am trusting in the finished work of Jesus to save me. I am confident that Jesus is a sufficient saviour. You can sit down. You know, there's no sin that Jesus hasn't dealt with at the cross. No sin at all. You have a now faith. A now faith. Question two. That was question one. Question two. Is there evidence of the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in my life? Well, there are two aspects of this one as well. There's an internal evidence and there's an external evidence. The internal evidence is the witness of the Spirit in 1 John 3, 24. 
says this, and the person who keeps his commandments resides in God and God in him. Now by this we know that God resides in us by the spirit he has given us. In Romans 8 and verse 16, Paul says, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. There is an internal witness to the fact that I am saved. And that is something that we need to have. We need to know that we are born again. We need to know that something real, something substantive has changed inside of us. That it's not just well-wishing. But in fact, there is a real spirit of God inside of us that witnesses and testifies with our human spirit that we are actually born again and we are children of God. That is an internal witness that we have. And then there is an external evidence which is also a command that we find in John. In 1 John 3, 23, and this is his commandment that we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Love one another, just as he commanded us. In verses 10 and 11, it says, The children of God and the children of the devil are revealed in this way. All who do not do what is right are not from God, nor are those who do not love their brothers and sisters. For this is the message that we have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. One of the evidences of being born again, one of the evidence of being saved, one of the evidence of someone who has not drifted from the faith is that they love one another. They love the brothers and sisters. And how is it that we love 1 John 3, 16 and 17, we know love by this, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. There's action that follows love. Verse 17, if someone has enough money to live well and sees his brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? It's a New Living Translation. So we see that if God truly lives inside of us, then I will love my brothers and sisters. I will love others, but not just with a, a squishy, gooey love, but with a love that has compassion and a love that shows action. Again, another evidence that a person has truly been born again. How are we doing for time? Not too bad. Final question. Final question of the test. Do I see a long-term pattern of growth in my Christian life? In 2 Peter 1, verses 10 to 11, Peter says this, So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you are really among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away or you will never drift from the faith. Verse 11 and then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. What are these things that if we pay attention to, we shall not drift? Back up to verse 5 and 7. Peter says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith excellence, to excellence knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brother affection, to brotherly affection, unselfish love. Unselfish love. 
So here we see that Peter implies that there is a growth in our spiritual character. There is a growth in our imitation of Christ. Just as I'm imitating an awesome preacher. All right? There is some substance that if we imitate Christ, if we begin to put on a Christ-like life, and as Peter says, work hard at this, that we add and add and add, that we continue to grow, that we don't end up static, that we don't just find ourselves, right, that's excellent, I've got to a particular place now that I'm happy with and I'm comfortable with, I'm just going to lay back and I'm just going to drift. No, we work, we work at adding these things to our lives. So there is a constant trajectory of Christian life where we continually grow and we continually build. That is an evidence of the Spirit of God is inside of us and in doing so we make our calling sure and maturity doesn't happen when we're drifting through time maturity doesn't happen when we check out and we say I just want it easy now I've had enough I just want to drift for a while right? that's not when maturity happens that is actually when drift happens and it's not automatic Maturity, Christian maturity does not come automatically. It doesn't happen when you're relaxing. Christian maturity is not a state of sinless perfection. In other words, it's not something that we attain. It's something that we continually strive to attain. Maturity is the striving part, not the attaining part. It's that we're constantly looking to Christ Jesus all the time. Christian maturity is a mind and a heart that is anchored on Jesus. That we pay greater attention to what we have heard so that we don't drift away. So those are the three questions, the three tests to see whether or not our salvation is assured. Am I really in the faith? Am I really where I should be? Or have I drifted? Has there been, have I just drifted in some part of some of these evidences, and this is by no means exhaustive, but to simplify it, we've come down to three questions. Do I have a present trust in Christ for my salvation? Is there evidence of the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in my life? And do I see a long-term pattern of growth in my Christian life? Why don't we stand? As I said earlier, this isn't, uh, we don't do tests to fail. As the psalmist said, Lord, test me, try me, know all of my inner working being. Because I don't want to be disqualified when I get to glory. I really don't. So it's not to be condemning. But it's rather that we should take a sober examination of ourselves and just say, Lord, maybe there were some of those things which I've drifted in. Why don't you close your eyes again? And I just want you to ask the Lord. Ask Jesus. Just say, Jesus, is there any area of my life which I have just drifted in?
And if there is, then as we begin to sing now, we're going to close the meeting. But I'm going to invite anybody to come up here. You don't have to tell anybody what you're drifting in. That's between you and God. But just come to the front. And I just want you to take a bit of time to re-offer yourself to Jesus and just say, Jesus, I need help in this area. And maybe you want prayer specifically for something, and you can ask for that too. The team will be here to pray for you. But really, you're here to respond to Jesus, respond to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, I want to put my anchor in you. I want to make sure, make my calling and my election, my salvation sure. And I don't want to drift anymore. Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. 